be an old-fashioned street fight. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We brought the gloves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got taped up. Yeah. It's the yeah. jam, girl. Yeah. And at the end, boom. Welcome in to the short-haired dog, home of your 7-1, 8th-ranked Walford Terriers. I'm your host, Michael Bennett, alongside my best friend slash brother, Kevin Bennett. How's it going, KB? It's going good, man. I'm glad to, glad to get an episode under our belt, another one with a, with a win, and another close one at that. But it's a win, and we'll take it. That's exactly right. I think we'll, we're, we're in a lot better mood tonight than we were um, with the last episode we recorded. It's always good to get a win, and the Terriers did just that. It was, a, was another close win, but with Wofford, how they've been this year, um, doesn't surprise me that it was a close win up there in Johnson City as they take down the East Tennessee State Bucks by a score of 31-24. to 24. Um, So what do you say? Let's go ahead and recap this game, and then this is episode three, and we told our listeners that we had a special interview um, with a former number three for the Terriers. And we're going to get to that at the end. But let's go ahead and get this recap and see how the Terriers took down the Bucks on Saturday. What do you say? All right, sounds good. Well, let's jump right in here. Um, the Terriers were the first ones on the board uh, with a Luke Carter 23-yard field goal, capping off a 14-place 66-yard drive, taking almost seven minutes off the clock. So the Terriers go up three to nothing with two minutes and 13 seconds left in the first quarter. East Tennessee State responds uh, with a 51-yard field goal by J.J. German, and uh, man, he boomed it. Yeah, he killed um, that one. That, that would have been good forever. Yeah, so kudos to the to the Buccaneer kicker there, German, as he, he nailed that 51-yard field goal in the driving rain, uh, and so very impressive there, but they tied up at 3-3 three to three with uh, about 12 and a half minutes left in the first half. The Terriers then respond on a uh, nice roll out there from Brandon Goodson, who, uh, you know, uh, eluded a, a, um, a lineman or a linebacker, one blitzing back there. He eluded him out to his right side, threw it on the run, and hit Lennox McAfee, who was kind of tiptoeing in the end zone mm -hmm. back there. A nice grab by McAfee, a good good throw by Goodson. Um, so a nine-yard touchdown pass to put the Terriers up 10-3 to with a little under 11, left, or 11 minutes left in the first half, and that was a four-play, 75-yard drive. Took a minute 44 off the clock. Now, wasn't there a long pass there somewhere in that drive? That, yeah, that it, was to, uh, it was to Chandler Gal Galger. I was yeah. going to say what the what the uh, ESPN3 announcer, which was Goger mm -hmm. and uh, McAfee the whole day. So, uh, <laughs> good game by McAfee and Goger. Yeah. Um, well, you know, on that touchdown play, Goodson was nearly across the line of scrimmage. I thought he was when I went back and saw it, but they didn't call anything. No, I, I'm not. I wasn't sure that he. I couldn't tell where he, when he got rid of the ball because it wasn't a great camera angle. No. I, it never is. Because I mean, the most of the first quarter they were showing you like we were playing defense. Um, couldn't see how many yards Walford was getting. Terrible camera angle. I don't know what was going on there at, at East Tennessee State. They eventually got it fixed, but it wasn't the best angles in the world. 
Um, but that right there at the beginning was just miserable to watch because you know how <laughs> Walford is. You, okay, they either got 13 or they got 13 inches. Like I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I know. <laughs> what was going on there but thank the lord they got that figured out um but 10 to 3 is your score of course uh mcafee there with the touchdown catch um can we talk esp and three announcers really quick i mean they're doing the best they can i guess yeah. um so some of these I, I feel like we're blessed at walford to have pretty good announcers do a pretty yeah. good job because i mean i know they're probably a lot of people probably say well they're they're pulling for walford which i'm they are they would they would tell you that but Man, some of these other places, they do have pronunciation guides in the media guides. Yeah, like, it doesn't take. It wouldn't take ten seconds to look at the pronunciation, but uh, I'm going to tell you, I was getting really tired of hearing McAfee. Um, what, what year was it? That it was a year when Evan Jacks was at, played a lot of quarterback. Yeah, uh, they were calling him Evan White, and I'm not sure why they were calling him Evan White. Those were the Mercer guys, I think. Yeah, or yeah. possibly, and then Idaho was bad. I remember too. Mm-hmm. I mean, just we've had some had some bad ones over the years. These weren't the worst, but just guys, look at the look at the pronunciation guides here. Yeah, it's, it's not hard. It's basic broadcasting, and it's not even the thing that gets me is like it's not even the whole team. You got to remember, it's literally just the guys. You don't have to remember School the linemen. Yeah, you know, if, if as long as you kind of write it down in your notes when you're announcing the starting lineup, for the most part, you're not going to need that. I just don't know how you don't put a star beside it, everybody that has an odd pronounced name. Yeah. But, nonetheless. George B.C. is a uh, broadcaster's worst nightmare, especially when you're not a Walford <laughs> broadcaster. Yeah. Because I've heard some some announcers attempt to say George B.C. this year, and uh, let's just say they were unsuccessful. Gabise. Yeah, Gabise, I heard that one. Uh, Gibbesy, I heard that one. Gibbesy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but hey. George is having a heck of a year this year, so he keep really it up. Is. They can call him Fred for all I care. As long as he's <laughs> out there, if he keeps it up, they can call him whatever they want to. Uh, but getting back into the game here, ten to three is your current score. Um, with just under, like I said, just under eleven minutes left in the first half, um, then ETSU goes on a drive, seven plays, seventy yards, taking only three and a half minutes off the clock, capped off by a Hunter White twenty-seven yard touchdown pass from Austin Herrick, and a uh, tie to score up at ten. Uh, Walford then responds with another quick drive, only taking two, a little over two minutes off the clock. Five plays, 65 yards, capped off by a Lennox McAfee 48-yard run. <laughs> uh, put the Terriers up, Terriers up 17 to 10. So they go into the half, Terriers leading 17 to 10. And Mike, I think it's the same narrative as always. The Terriers go in. I think it, they were up yardage-wise, like. 280-something to 90-something, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, you could, so it was 17 to 10. You could easily say it should have been probably 28 to 3. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just how Walford operates this year. They love keeping it close and taking years off of our life. Um, but that was kind of that was kind of the same. I had kind of the same impression in that one as I did maybe in PC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they kind of piddled around with them, but Walford was completely in complete control of the game, but it's one of those where you're like, guys, what? we're doing this again against yeah. East Tennessee State. <laughs> I mean, I know they're okay. They beat Mercer. Yeah, they're fine, but guys, we're so much better than them. Yeah. We're up by a touchdown, and it's in the driving rain, which I know sometimes you could slip in out there, slip, but the way Walford wants to run it in between the tackles and gas teams, you feel like that could be their bread and butter, but it's just it was just another one of those games where the Terriers – 
I mean, for lack of a better term, they just piddle around. That's all they yeah. do is just piddle around all season long. Um, still waiting for them to put it together, um, put four quarters together. I don't, I'm starting to believe we're not going to see it. We better <laughs> hope we can just get three and make it yeah. through that fourth one. Um, but, you know, it's, it's starting to get a little frustrating, I have to admit. I know. That, it's, that it, all these games are close. And I, they're better than all these teams that they've played. They're, they've been the best team in all eight games that they've played this season. And they've been so close to losing just about every one of them. And yeah. it's, it's very, very frustrating. I, I mean, I agree 100%. And, and not only are we better, it didn't like it's by a small margin. Now, we're to significantly me, it's better. by a lot. I would say we're 17 to 20 points better than East Tennessee yeah. State. And I know we've talked a lot about Furman. You know, about Furman, and Furman's doing a great job. Clay Hendricks needs to be SoCon Coach of the Year. They got another win this past Saturday, and they did a good job. But even in that game, people said, well, we only beat them by one point. I think that's deceiving. I thought Walford was clearly the better team in that game as well. I, I didn't think – I mean, right there was sort of a trash touchdown there at the end where they broke a little run and ended up scoring, and I don't know how we didn't tackle him before he got in the end zone. But nonetheless, they, we did beat them by one point. But I, I thought even that game, we pretty much dominated at times during that game. I just don't – like you said, it's frustrating. When you see that much talent that's out there on the field, and it's it's so much feast or famine for our team. Yeah. At times, our defense looks like they can't give up a yard, and then it's like they can't stop anything. Right. Uh, and, and even offense has been that way. At times, the offense looks unstoppable. At other times, it's like we couldn't get a first down. And a lot of it goes back to, and Coach Ayers will say this, it's execution. It's in the little things. And on offense, one thing that's killing them is penalties. Yeah. Uh, they had eight for 65 yards in this game. Yeah, and you can't have that. that that's We've had more penalties this year than I think we've seen Walford have maybe ever. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, it's just off the charts. And I know we've had some bad years where we're really bad. But I think – and then maybe – Maybe we have had more years, and we're just kind of frustrated because of how talented this team is. But nonetheless, it's unacceptable. These guys have been out there enough to realize you can't do that stuff. And I know some of it, the young linemen and things like that, but guys, how many games are we in, in, into this thing? We're eight games in. Exactly. You're on scholarship to play football. I mean, come on, guys. Quit jumping off sides. Quit doing things like that. And look, I get it. Things happen. And I'm not singling out anybody, but this as the whole, we got to execute better. Yeah. Or we're going to end up losing. Or we're going to lose a game that we should have won, and it's going to be a game that really, really matters. Yeah, and that's the thing about it is we've already lost one we should have won. Absolutely. And we could have lost a lot more that we should have won. It's just because we're not executing. Yep. And, you know, it's frustrating. Uh, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself. But, but I still believe that eventually this coaching staff is so good at what they do, they're going to get the best out of these guys at some point. I mean, don't you think? I mean, the verdict's still out. I mean, they've yet to show us that they can play a complete four-quarter game. And I'm hopefully we see it this Saturday, or maybe they save it. Maybe we just dink and dunk and piddle around until the national championship, and we see it then. Which, you know what? That just, that'd be just okay in my <laughs> book. That'd be just okay. Um, but, you know, getting back in here to the second half, 17-10 to was your halftime score. Um, you know... Teams trade some possessions. Then East Tennessee State gets on the scoreboard to tie it up at 17. Uh, Matt Thompson with a one-yard run. Six-play, 58-yard drive, taking only two minutes and 40 seconds off the clock. A lot of fast drives mm -hmm. uh, against the Terrier defense uh, on Saturday, which means they were getting gashed. Yeah, we did um, not look good to start the second half. No. I'm not sure 
what happened. I don't know if ETSU made some adjustments. They they really didn't start it out on fire themselves. Right. But the Terriers did not look like, you know, the top ten team like they've been billed all year. So the Terriers get the ball back, do nothing, uh, punt to East Tennessee State. That is when um, the Terriers get in the backfield um, on one of the rare blitzes and uh, knock the ball out of the quarterback's hand, Austin Her- Herring, excuse me, and um, Colton Clemens picks it up and is tackled right there inside the five-yard line. The Terriers are able to punch it in there. Andre started with a three-yard run, two-play, six-yard drive, taking only 38 seconds off the clock. So the Terriers up 24-17 to 17 at this point uh, with 3.52 left in the third quarter. The Terriers get up on the board once again early in the fourth with a Blake Morgan 47-yard run, capping off a 12-play, 79-yard drive, taking a little over five minutes off the clock. So the Terriers are up 31-17 to 17 at this point. And, um, but it entered my mind when I saw, or when I was watching the game, that the Terriers were up 14. I was thinking, we're fixing to go really, really soft. And that is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed East Tennessee State uh, to go on a five-and-a-half-minute drive, um, capped off by Austin Herrick touchdown pass of six yards to Drake Powell to cap off a 12-play, 75-yard drive. That brought East Tennessee State to within seven, 31-24. The Terriers go conservative on the offensive side of the ball. Give it back to East Tennessee State. They're driving it right down the field. Um, it was a fourth and, fourth and short. Uh, they go for it, and uh, they were short. So the Terriers hold, and another close win for Walford to bring their season record to, like you said, Mike, 7-1, and 5-1 and one in the SoCon. Um, but like we said, another frustrating win. I know you don't want to say a frustrating win, but it is. But it is. That's all you can say. Yeah. Now, I think what we should do now, Mike, is kind of give our, our thoughts of the game. Um, we can get into our offensive and defensive player of the games here in just a second. But kind of what are you thinking after the game? What's the status of the, of the Terriers right now? I'll, I'll start with one. Mike, we got to put more pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, and I, I think it's even deeper than just the defensive side. I think we're being, we're not aggressive enough on either side of the ball. Yeah, and we I, have to show more confidence in those guys yeah, on the defensive side of the ball. We've got to, and I, and what gets me is we've said this before on here, and I think most Wofford fans that are able to watch and see what's going on will will agree with this. This is the most talent we've ever had yeah. on a team ever. And to see us playing like we did back in the 90s and the early 2000s when we didn't have, you know, we had a bunch of slow white guys. Uh, we don't have that anymore. We got some ball players out there. And, uh, you know, guys that could have went D1, could have went to FBS schools, are now coming to play with, play at Wofford. And I just, yeah, I'm calling for that more aggressive style of play. And, and that's one reason I think Joe Newman hasn't, didn't play very much. I, I think it was fear of him trying to be too – Aggressive, but you sometimes you've got to be. If you're ever going to want to knock anybody out, you're going to have to swing hard occasionally, even if that means occasionally taking one on the chin because you're, you know, not blocking your face, sort right. of deal. This is the same thing to me. We've got to get in there and throw big punches like the heavyweight that we are. Well, and I was going to mention that too. After the performance Joe Newman put on in the second half of the Sanford game, how can he only play one meaningless play? Yeah. In this ball game, that I mean, really at least has throw no... him out there and see see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there was just seemed it seemed like there was just no consistency in the second mm-hmm. half. It, like the the scoring plays, of course, the Blake Morgan touchdown, um, but I mean, and then the starter three yard run, and that's it. 
I mean, yeah. not really, not really much, not sustaining many drives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Blake Morgan drive was a 12 play, 79 yard drive, but it was a five minute drive. That's not a Walford. That's not a yeah, typical Walford. And how drive. long was the scoring play? It was 47 yards. So, so that's, that's half, half of it right there. That's half of it there. Then the starter was a was a three yard run after Colton Clemens, you know, returned yeah. it to the six. So, I mean, not a lot of consistency out of the offense, and we've seen that so many times this year. And and guys, we're not we're not sitting here complaining about being in seven and one. I've seen it a lot. How everybody's been just, uh, you know, get to the end of the ledge. Uh, we're seven and one. We're barely quick. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Mm-hmm. We're seven and one. But you want to feel good about some wins every now and then. And we, it, I just don't feel that great about it. You just can't play this poorly against good teams, right? And, and but the thing about it, luckily they've been catching teams that are not that great. Yeah. And Sanford, like we said last week, they're good enough to beat you if you don't play at your best. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened. Yeah. Luckily, you know, East Tennessee State's not the best team in the world. No. They're okay. Yeah, they're, they're all right. They're a mid-tier, mid to low-tier SOCON team. Yeah. And we piddled around with them and beat them by seven. And they were driving on us on that last possession. So Chattanooga's not a very good team. No. But they're also a team that if we don't play our best Saturday, we will get beat at Gibbs Stadium. And I think I think Chattanooga's actually got more talent than ETSU. Oh, uh, by far. I just think that the thing with, the thing with Chattanooga, they've got a new coaching staff. I yeah. don't know how they're going to do against our attack. Um, I know Citadel was able to knock them off, by, but it was a, it was a close game. I don't feel great about it. I really don't. Right. Um, just because that team wasn't a very good passing team coming in, ETSU, and they really did had their way with us passing. And I know statistically-wise our defense isn't looking that bad, but it's not – I mean, it's just the, – we're not passing the eye test. No. Uh, you know, We're giving just, up way too many big yardage plays and giving up really more points than we've been accustomed mm-hmm. to, especially – with last year's defense. And, and and look, guys, here's the thing. A lot of times in the past, our defense has had to play like the 85 Bears just to win. Yeah. Because our offense couldn't do anything. Uh, I, I do think the offense could step up and be a little better to help the defense out because it does seem like they're out there more than they're accustomed to being. Yeah. But, once again, it just feels like if somebody's going to beat you and get 15 yards on you, make them earn it. Right. Don't let them just run a guy across the middle on a basic slant or a post, post route and – gas you like that. I mean, you got to sometimes, like I said, you got to take some risk. Well, I was thinking about it earlier. If they're gonna if they're gonna catch the pass anyway, why not just blitz the house back there at the quarterback? If they're gonna do it anyway, why not at least send by somebody back there? You may get a hand up. Just play you, may get a, you may get a hand on his arm or you may be able to wrap him up. Yeah. And if I mean George BC and Devin Watson, if you don't have enough confidence in them to play man out there, then what are we doing? Yeah. So I would I would absolutely blitz more. And the thing about it, our front three really are the two deep on our front three is so good that they're getting pushed no, no. with just three. So rush four, rush five, bring Allstat, let him blitz. You saw what happened in the Sanford game when he blitzed that one time. Yeah. Bring Colton Clemens, bring Terrence Morris, do something. Get some pressure back there on the quarterback because let's be real. All right? And I know – I, I was watching the I was watching the the broadcast and they were they were kind of they were kind of pumping him up a little bit. But let's be real, Austin Herrick is not the best quarterback we've seen this season. No. And he was standing back there picking us apart. And like Devin Hodges, okay, yeah, yeah. Hodges is a great quarterback. Herrick, not so much. He's okay, but is he is he as good as 
Walford made him out to be Saturday? No. Uh, I'm not. No. He threw for 262 yards and two touchdowns. He was 23 of 34, including two touchdowns. Now, he was sacked three times. We mm-hmm. got back there and yeah. got him. But just imagine if we would have sent four on some of those when Miles Brown and Mikael Horton and Tyler Vaughn were all over him in the backfield. I mean, it makes you wonder how good this defense could really be. And it, it makes you ask the question, you know, we're, we're talking about getting a pass rush. Does it really help your pass rush as far as letting them get back there if your receivers have a free release off the line of scrimmage? I don't think it does because that allows the quarterback to get it out faster. Right. My thing is, if, if, if they've got to run to get open, at least it makes the quarterback stand back there a little longer to, you know, to, to, have, to have time to pass it, to get it to him. Yeah. And I don't know if that time would be there if, if we were to play aggressively. I mean, this just barely beating people and being real vanilla. I hate the – and I know that they don't want to get beat deep and I know they want to keep everything in front of them, but that prevent deal that they do where literally the linebackers are like 15 yards and then the DBs are like 20 yards off is yeah, ridiculous. I hate pre-vent. I can't stand that. And yeah. you just can't – you can't play that soft. And, 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 look, we're not trying to knock the coaches. I, I realize that they've got a tough job. They've got a really talented team, and these teams are – we're getting every team's best shot, and I, and I understand that. But And they may see stuff on film that, that we're not seeing. I, I don't know. But you just have to see – you have to understand from a Walford fan's perspective, seeing where they've come from like we have, Yeah. you've got to at least say, man, we got to take a few risks every once in a while. And you do. And, but we take risks on stuff like going for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it'd be fourth and seven. We just uh, – and, and I like that. that. That's not a problem. And if I guarantee you in that game at South Carolina or any game for that matter, if we tie it right there at the end of the game, especially if we're outmanned, we're going to go for two and try to get it. Yeah. And I like that. But we got to also implement that into our play calling, I think. It just, not, I'm not saying every, every play bring the house, but that, that Saturday might have been one of the few times that I saw – Detavius Wilson take off at the quarterback as a design blitz. Mm-hmm. It's been very few and far between. And, you know, this team's going to play a complete game at some point. They've got to. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that too, but it just keeps going on. And I will say this, and I've, I've said this to you, you know, off the show, but Coach Ayers knows he's got a good team. Yeah. He knows it. And you can tell, especially in that post-game press conference, um, on this past Saturday, he was frustrated too. He yeah. know, he knows that they're just there's so many self inflicted wounds, and I know that was the title of our last episode. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, like you said, penalties and you know just mishaps and things that just it's hard to explain, really. And it, it is like you said, this team to have as much athleticism and ability and skill as it does for them to just barely squeak by just mediocre teams. It really makes no sense. And, I, and I'm amazed that we've gotten as much respect in the rankings as we have. Well, I, one thing about it is I, I think people around the FCS realize how hard it is to win. Yeah. Uh, because you look at the teams where where we where were we ranked preseason? 10th, 11th, 12th? 11th. Something yes, like yeah. that. So in, in most of the publications. And, you know, look at how many of those teams have – I mean, some of them's got two losses. Some of them's got three. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to win, and I think us just by winning, and I know they aren't pretty, has to has to make a big time big time difference. And I think another thing is the strength of the SoCon is kind of up. It is. Just to be honest with you. Uh, well, well, Mike, I tell you what, since you mentioned that, 
Um, and we talked about it last episode. You know, we said the Terriers can just win out, handle their business, albeit frustrating. They win these. If they win the their their last remaining games, of course, excluding South Carolina, they have every chance to be SoCon champs. Especially because, like you said, the SoCon's up. The teams that were tied atop the SoCon had to kind of play each other. They're going to beat each other mm-hmm. up, and we saw it on Saturday. So, uh, do you have the do you have the scores um, from the from the other SoCon games? I know uh, Furman got a big time win, so they are they are atop the SOCON with the Terriers right now. Am I right? That is correct. Um, so, uh, Citadel beats VMI 21-3. No okay. big surprise there. Yeah. Uh, not at all. Wait um, for the Terriers to squeak out a 17-13 win over VMI to finish out the year. Probably. Um, Chattanooga takes down Sanford. Yeah. 23-21. I think I called that one. Uh, you did. I knew the Sanford loss was coming. They're that team every year that everyone tries to claim about, oh, it's Sanford's year. Nope. Never is. <laughs> but anyway, Furman all over Western Carolina, 28-6. Now, from what I understand, I've heard uh, some people have, have reached out to me and talked to me about this game. Apparently, um, Western Carolina's quarterback got injured in the game. Yep. So it was like a monsoon rain. His name escapes me. What is his name? Uh, is it Adams? I think it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it kind of stymied their attack. You know, if you don't have that running option with that zone read offense, it's going to be hard. They just zone and, in on, on Newsom. Yeah, and, and Newsom's a great back, too. I actually think, like I've said before, he's going to play on Sundays. And uh, and then Furman, of course, executes, and they get the win 28-6. So, like I said, Paladins are playing good. Um, Chattanooga's obviously playing pretty well to knock off. Sanford. I mean, Sanford only had the one loss to Western Carolina. Um, I, I just, I feel like there's a lot of parity in the Southern Conference. I really do. Yeah. Um, just a lot of a lot of teams that could beat anybody on any given day. Uh, Chattanooga is two and seven. Uh, they're seventh in the SoCon, so they've had a rough year. This isn't your Chattanooga of old, but hey, that doesn't matter. I mean, they. It doesn't matter who we're playing right now. I think we could play. I don't know division three team and we play limestone. Yeah, and and we beat them by six. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, it's just the way it's this just, team is. It's just like that's how we're wired. And and like I said, like you said, it's great to be seven and one. It feels good, and you, of course, winning close is better than losing. Oh yeah, winning ugly is way better than losing, than losing pretty. Yeah, but I'm just. But it, it's still. I mean, we just you know what this team's capable of, and you just see it. it it's a lot. That's all I can say. All right, Mike. I tell you what we can do here to tie the bow on the on the whole ETSU weekend. I'll go through, run through the box score, the final box score. You be thinking of your offensive and defensive uh, MVPs of the game. All right. All right. So, getting into the final stats, Brandon Goodson finishes the day uh, eight for fifteen passing for one hundred yards exactly and one touchdown with a long of thirty-eight yards. Of course, that one reception going to Chandler Gauger, um, also known as Chandler Goger. Goger. Um, passing for East, East Tennessee State, Austin Herrick, 262 yards and two touchdowns, 23 of 34 passing. Um, moving into the rushing, Andre Stoddard led the Terriers with, well, excuse me, with 22 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. Lennox McAfee, six rushes for 81 yards and a touchdown. Blake Morgan, four carries for 54 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Goodson, eight carries for 30 yards. 
Chase Nelson, seven carries for 27 yards. Ellis Pace had one carry for four. And Joe Newman on his one play, one attempt for zero yards. Uh, rushing for East Tennessee State, their leading rusher only had 26 yards. That was Jawan Stinson. Fallon Lee added 19. Um, then Matt Thompson had negative one yard, but scored a touchdown. And then Austin Herrick had negative 29 yards rushing, of course, that coming on those three sacks. Chandler Gallagher led the Terriers in receiving with his one reception for 38 yards. Blake Morgan added two receptions for 31 yards. R.J. Taylor, two catches for 14 yards. Lennox McAfee, one reception for nine yards. Nick Karras getting in the action with one reception for eight yards. And Cole Clary, one catch for no yards. I think he kind of slipped out there on that, on that wet artificial uh, playing surface. Uh, receiving for East Tennessee State, Vincent Lowe, six receptions for 65 yards. Drake Powell, five receptions for 54 yards and a touchdown. Kobe Kelly, three receptions for 31 yards. Dylan Dockery, two, re two receptions for 31 yards. Hunter Wyke, two receptions for 29 yards and a touchdown. Evan Wick, one catch for 25 yards. Jawan Stinson, one for 11. And let's see here. Richburg, one reception for 10 yards. And Haddon Hill with two receptions for six Moving into the defense for the Terriers, Tyler Vaughn led the Terriers with six tackles, four solo and two assists. Mikel Horton also had six, and that included one sack for negative three yards. Terrence Morris, Colton Clemens, and Dottavius Wilson all with five tackles apiece. So five tackles apiece for the entire um, linebacking core there. Um, I'm, I think, I'm pretty sure I saw, you know, Jaro Wilson, uh, Daryl Vining out there Still kind of rotating at that one linebacker spot. But for the three, for the three uh, mainstays out there, five tackles apiece. Mason Alstaff, Malik Rivera, Miles Brown, all with four. Weston Roundtree with three. JoJo Tillery, George BC with two. Devin Watson with two. Graham Massey with two. Luke Carter with two tackles. <laughs> uh, Jaro Wilson and Daryl Vining with two apiece. Then Dominic Lemon, Ross Hammond, and Brandon Curtis all with one tackle a piece so that will do it for the box score of course like we said the terriers improved to seven and one albeit not pretty but a win nonetheless seven and one with a 31 to 24 win over the east tennessee state buccaneers so mike i'll give you the floor who is your offensive and defensive mvp for the game this one's a tough one for me. Um, I think there's two guys on offense and probably two guys on defense that could both be mentioned. And I think if one of us picks the one, the other one will pick the other. Okay. Um, on offense, I'm going with um, Lennox McAfee. Yeah. Uh, you McAfee. have two touch. McAfee. Yeah, McAfee. Sorry, um, ESPN three announcers. Um, no, McAfee gets one receiving, gets one rushing, and man, he's just electrifying. He's just a great. A great back. He, along with, with Blake Morgan, are just, just tremendous. And, you know, you look at what they can do receiving-wise, blocking-wise, running-wise, what they, what they mean to the team is incredible. So I'm going with going with Lennox McAfee on okay. offense. Defensive? Defensive, I'm going with Detavius Wilson. Uh, okay. You forced the fumble there. That, that made a big-time difference. And plus, he's just a presence in there. It's almost to the point now where – Last year, he was sort of the freshman, you know, bursting onto the scene. Now it's like teams try to avoid him if they can. He's the, he's one of the main focuses of the Wofford defense. and um, He gels so well with Vaughn and Miles Brown. Man, he's tremendous. And yeah. he's I told you early on, after a couple games last year, I said, Tavius Wilson's going to be a superstar. 
and you're seeing him morph into that every single game. So, once again, kudos to those two guys. I think they're very deserving of offensive and defensive players. Who are your guys? I'm going to kind of go a different route on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to give it to a whole, to a whole, you know, group. Hmm. I'm going to give it to the whole wide receiver group for the Terriers. They blocked so well in that game on Saturday. I know a couple of plays um, that I remember vividly. Um, Jason Hill and R.J. Taylor were just, you know, blocking their tails off. And I love to see that out of the Walford receivers because, I mean, let's be real. They've been better receiving. I mean, they've, they've got more chances to, to receive this season, but... They still don't get a lot. They still don't get a lot. And they and they come out there and they come to Walford knowing that they're going to have to block. Mm-hmm. And they embrace that. They love blocking. And I'm telling they're you... The, na- they're kind of nasty. The, stri- the strides that I've seen... Uh, when they've come in as freshmen into what they are now, you know, R.J. Taylor is an outstanding yeah. blocker, as well as, as well as Jason Hill. I know he's only a sophomore, but the strides that I've seen some of these guys make, um, blocking-wise, and of course, uh, you know, Armani Helliger is a great, uh, great blocker. Bryce Mose comes out there and blocks sometimes. Cole Cleary's played a little bit this year. He's a great blocker. I mean. They have so many athletes out there that can get out there and block. Uh, I left one Dorian Lindsay. He's got out there and blocked some as well. Just I'm going to give it to the entire wide receiving core because they don't get enough love. They don't get enough love on their on their blocking, and you know how they've really refined their skills and really committed to blocking because that makes that offense run. I mean, the offensive lineman has to has to do their job to open up the lanes. You know, Goods and Newman they have to make the right pitch, but if those receivers don't make the block those defensive backs can blow up an option play. Oh, and we've seen it happen. We've yeah. seen it happen. And they're going to miss block from from time to time, but it seems like we haven't seen it very much this year. So mm-hmm. my offensive MVP is the is the complete Walford wide receiving core. I thought you were going to go with Stoddard. I really did. Well, Stoddard's my guy. But, yeah. Um, and he could he could very he very well deserves it. But I got to give my I got to give my receivers some love because they, they deserve it. Um, defensively, I'm going to go with Miles Brown. I mean, I mean that's not really a it's not really a. You could pretty much say him every week. Yeah, and he, you know, he had he had four tackles, uh, two for loss, one sack for eight yards. Um, but he's one of those, just like Tyler Bone, just like Mikael Horton. They could get defensive player of the game pretty much every week. Yeah. Um, it's and like we say, it's astonishing that those three guys can get the push that they do by themselves. It just makes you wonder what would happen if we could get someone back there rushing with them. Um, but Miles Brown just consistent. One of the best defensive linemen the Terriers have ever had, and we got him for another year after this one. Um, so, Miles Brown's my defensive MVP. So, that's going to do it for our analysis of the East Tennessee State win. Of course, Terriers get the dub, thirty-one to twenty-four to improve to seven and one, five and one in the SoCon. Well, Mike, we teased it before our analysis, and now it's time for our first ever interview here on the Short Hair Dog, and uh, it's one that. I was pretty excited for, I know I was unable due to my work schedule, I was unable to to get together and, and, and be a part of the interview, but I know you were able to uh, conduct the interview. You told me it was a lot of fun. I was able to listen to it, so I know this is a great, great interview. Some good stories, some good information. I think some of the some of the Walford fans that have, that have been around for a while and the diehard Terrier fans are going to really enjoy this. Um, so... It's time now to get to our interview, and it's with former Walford fullback Michael Hobbs. He was uh, the fullback from 2004 until 2007, um, number three, 
and uh, he was he was really one of the one of the fullbacks that really got it going to where they were the kind of the, the featured back back there. And, and and you get into it, you know, his injury. Uh, I think it was in 05, is that mm-hmm. when it was? Yeah. Uh, so you get into his injury. Um, he even, even throws a good Mike Ayer story in there, a couple of them actually, um, but a very good interview. And, of course, we, we appreciate uh, Michael Hodd for coming on. And, uh, yeah, he was, Mike, it was, a, it was a great interview. Yeah, he, he was nice enough to, to do that via phone and uh, this this afternoon. And uh, just, just a very nice guy. Just you wouldn't want to talk to anybody nicer. Um and just to hear the, you know, the passion he still has for the Walford program, even after all these years, you know, he he mentioned even in that interview, it's on, it's going to be almost ten years since yeah. he was in a Walford uniform. It doesn't seem like it, but um, just to, just to know the love and the, the the support he still has for the school just says a lot about the way Walford does things and the way the impact of the, these coaches and these fans and and everybody around the Walford community, the whole college, does to these young men as they come here to play for the Terriers. All right, so without further ado, let's kick it over and hear the Michael Hobbs interview. All right, I'm here with former Wofford's uh, fullback from 2004 to 2007, number three, Michael Hobbs, is our guest today. Michael, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're here um, recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. Here's actually Halloween, so uh, good day here to, to talk to Michael. Uh, Michael, you you and I talked off the air um, about how you ended up at Walford. Well, why don't you tell our listeners how how did you end up at at, at Walford? How did you first hear about uh, Walford College? Uh, my first exposure to Walford was actually a 2003 semifinal game against Delaware. My brother and I were at home, you know, watching watching football, and that game came on. Uh, I think ESPN two broadcast or something like that. Uh, we watched that game and. Obviously, I'm a running back, and Wofford ran the ball 100 times a game. So, uh, you know, it definitely piqued my interest from a, from a football standpoint as well as um, as well as academically for Wofford. Uh, I'm originally from Andalusia, Alabama, and I even lived outside of that and went to a county school. So I went to an extremely small school. My brother and I created about, I think we sent out, you know, 100 highlight films to a variety of colleges just to kind of get my name out there just because of where I was. Um and once we saw that, we sent one to Wofford. Um, obviously, that was late in the year. Um, and, you know, Coach Lane got in touch with me and, and came down and visited. Um, took an official visit up to Wofford, loved everything about it, and, you know, ended up there. I actually came to Wofford without ever actually seeing a football game live. So I had never been in the stadium or anything like that prior to uh, committing to the commentary. Wow. Um so you wore number three, and this is episode three. Uh, how did you end up wearing number three? Is it a is it is there some type of connection where you wore it most of your career, or how did you end up wearing uh, yeah. number three for the Terriers? I actually started um, I, my sophomore year of high school. I started wearing number number three. Um, wore that throughout high school. Um, then when I came to to Wofford, uh, Mike Jones, who was a previous fullback, was wearing number three, and he was a senior my freshman year. So my freshman year, I wore number five. And then my sophomore year, uh, I gave Brian Kemp the number five, and I took the number three again. Um, so my entire football career, outside of two years, I've been black and gold colors, number three, high school and college. Um, so it's, it's, it, was, it was nice to be consistent and have the same, you know, same same colors, same number, everything's consistent throughout high school and college. Wow. Uh, you mentioned Brian Kemp. He was actually my high school math teacher. Really? 
<laughs> I'm yeah, sure that was a yeah. very interesting math class. You know, he, it, it definitely coach, was. Uh, he's a head coach down at uh, Hardy um, Hardy County, Florida now, where he where his alma mater. And I think they just won their uh, district uh, district championship. So he's he doing yeah. things down there as a high school coach. <laughs> Which is awesome because he's a, he's a really good guy. Um, getting on to your, you know, we were trying to think, my brother and I, we were sitting back trying to think of uh, when you got there, who might have been uh, there when you got there. Um, who were some of the guys you were behind, like, um, on the depth chart competing with, like, so, to start uh, when you got there? Yeah, so I was recruited as a halfback. So when I came in, I came in as a halfback. So uh, the guys playing halfback at that time were uh, Gabe Jackson and Corey Dunn. And then uh, Aaron uh, Aaron Jones was also those, those were the kind of the three guys that were that were getting most of the reps. Um, so I, you know went through the fall, not a whole lot of playing time. Um, you know special teams got some mop up duty, uh, but really fullback was where I was most comfortable. So I requested a change there. And, and then once that happened, you know uh, the two fullbacks that were playing were seniors. They moved out. That was Mike Jones and. Uh, Guys, not guys' names escaping me right now. But anyway, those two guys went left um, as seniors, and then I uh, I stepped into the fullback role along with Adrian Young, um, who was also uh, my same class, uh, and we kind of took over duties there. All right. Well, uh, you you did get about what uh, three years as the primary starter. Um, I know. I think it was what year was it? I know you had a had a pretty bad injury that uh, ended up. You you were having a great season. I think you had. Through six games, I think you had, or, or maybe like I think it was more like five and a half games. You ended up having well over 500 yards in that season. What what year was that, and and what was it like coming back from that injury? That was uh, 2005, and it was I believe we were playing BMI at home. Um, I broke my leg. Um, I don't know, minute and a half to go before halftime of that game. Uh, yeah, so it was on you know on pace to have a great season. Uh, you know. I think was on track to to rush for over a thousand that year, um, which would have been which would have been nice. But unfortunately, the, the injury occurred, the, the leg break, um, and that was the first injury I've ever had. You know, football injury that would have sidelined me like that. So that whole you know rehab, recovery, healing, all that stuff um, was a little bit different for me. Um, I put on a little weight during that time frame, um, so you know I, I lost a step after after the injury. And you know, once you, once you get injured, it's you know it's kind of you know, always there, um, you know, not, you know, you don't think about it as much, but, you know, that kind of is always in the back of your mind, you know, and you always have the, you know, kind of the, the pains that go along with that, you know, you know, small floating bone fragments in there, they'll get, you know, stuck in a certain spot, which cause problems, things like that. But, um, you know, it, it was, it was not easy to come back from. I wish I wouldn't have gained, you know, put on the weight that I did because I had to get some of that off. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, unfortunate to say the least. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Uh, I, I actually remember when that happened, uh, and that was pretty. That, that was that was tough because you were having a, a great season, like some of the you know classic fullbacks that we've had over the years. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up that that year following, uh, you actually had the longest run in Walford history, ninety nine yards against Georgia Southern. Can you talk about that run? Do, do you remember what the play call was? How you ended up making it all the way ninety nine yards for the score? Yeah, I actually think that play call is going to be, you know, it's basically a zone read there. Um, it might have been 47 is what, I mean, as simple as that is what we called it, um, where Josh Collier would have would have been reading the end with the and with his decision to, to give it to me or pull it and pitch it. 
Um, you know, we were we we're right back against the goal line. I didn't, you know, I didn't really think he was going to pull it just because we were on the field. Um, you know, because he probably should have based on where the defensive end was. But you know, he went in and gave it, broke one tackle right there with the defensive end, and then everybody else just kind of walled, you know, walled him off. And I had an escort with uh, Kobe Harris and Andy Strickland, kind of just, you know, uh, ran interference for me. You know, while this, you know, fat boy got down the field, as as Coach Air, Coach Air uh, said. Uh, that's awesome. And I actually read where, uh, like, I think the game ball and maybe your cleats are like in the hall of fame. Is that, is that true? They are. So after that game, um, media guy from Wofford uh, came down and, you know, said that, uh, you know, the college football hall of fame wanted to get, you know, cause I guess that they hadn't, at that time there was one, I would have been one of 11 division one athletes to have ever done that. Um, wow. you know, FBS and FCS. Um, so, you know, Kind of a you know not not doesn't happen a lot, um, so they they wanted my game ball the game ball cleats um, and they had a picture um, and it's on it is in the College Football Hall of Fame on a kind of on a three month rotational basis even still now um, where it's kind of a, a smaller exhibit they'll bring out just to change things up um, so they still have the College Football Hall of Fame still has all that stuff um, and they put it out on occasion I have, I have not had a chance to see it yet um, but hopefully hopefully we'll get, get to do that in the near future. Wow, that's that's really that's awesome. You talked about Coach Ayers earlier. Um, do you have a best Coach Ayers story? Maybe a best Coach Ayers moment that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh man, Coach Ayers has so many moments. Um, <laughs> such a he's really Coach Ayers is really a fun guy. Um, two moments that always kind of stand out to me. One is football related. One is not. Um, I'll start with the the one that was not uh, as a freshman. Uh, at Wofford, you have interim, you know, interim in January. So you, you take a course that's kind of out of the norm, not a traditional course. A lot of people travel abroad during that time frame. I, for some reason, thought uh, taking Coach Ayers' karate-led course would be, you know, kind of a break. You know, Coach Ayers, football coach, not going to be intense. I don't know what I was thinking because it was 100% intense. You would have thought I would have been training for a black belt. Um, so the, the moment in there I remember the most, is, you know, males and females are in there. We're going through the class. Coach Ayers is very intense, very serious about this. We all have on our karate outfit. I don't know what you call it. Maybe it's a gi or something. Anyway, we're all in there. We're decked out. <laughs> and a girl has to go to the bathroom. So, you know, she said she asked Coach Ayers, can she be, you know, can she excuse herself to go to the restroom? Literally, he says nothing and walks over to her and, like, like aggressively karate chopped her and stopped his hand, I swear, two inches from her throat. And, and then made her do 10 push-ups and to, to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but everybody at the time was like, what just happened? But that's, I mean, that's just who Coach Ayers is. Like, it was, he was just getting around, and obviously she knew that at the point, but it was just so out of the left field. Just like karate chop, stopped his hands, made her do 10 push-ups, and then she could go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, yeah, that, was, uh, that was pretty intense. Um, and then, you know, Coach Ayers pregame, you know, now you didn't have this when I was playing, but now you have, you know, all the video you know, each week we kind of get to kind of get to be in the locker room for part of that, um, kind of hear what he has to say, that kind of stuff, which is really cool. Um, and the guys that that put all that together is, is awesome for you know us us used to be players as well as just the fans in general. But one uh, one game, and I can't remember which one it was. We we come into the the large meeting room there, you know, where we typically would get our bananas, Gatorade, getting ready to, you know, for the captains go out and then us go out um, after that. And Coach Ayers is getting ready to do a speech, and there's a large wooden, just wooden box in the front of the room. So, um, we're, you know, 
We're like, okay, you know, don't know what that's about. But so we sit down, we're waiting for Coach Harris to come in. He comes in, he's talking to us, and all of a sudden he pulls an axe out from kind of, you know, nobody really saw it. He pulls an axe out and just starts beating this, you know, tearing this box apart. And basically the whole motto was, you know, no matter what, just keep chopping, keep chopping. And eventually this wooden box was just obliterated in the meeting room. Um, you know, it was, it was intense. It was, you know, it was one of the memorable moments for me. Um, you know, again, looking back, it was, you know, a lot of fun, very intense. And after that, talking to like older guys than me that played for Coach Ayers, you know, they were telling stories of in Coach Ayers' younger years. He would, you know, headbutt trash cans, you know, all kind of pregame stuff was just crazy, incredibly intense. Um, and that was our first kind of glimpse into that. Um, but it, it left a mark and, uh, you know, for sure got to us, made us ready to play. <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. You talked about some of that stuff with Coach Ayers, both on the field and uh, we're both football-related and, and not. Uh, what, what was your best on the field moment? Your best in game moment? You think of your career at Walford? Um, let's see. Montana would have had been, you know, one of those uh, kind of that last drive. Um, I was fortunate enough to be the one to punch the ball in there for us to go up late in Montana. Um, that was a huge moment, um, you know, for, for us as you know as a team for Walford as you know I think our program where it was. Um, you know, it was just, you know, a fun moment to be able to do that with, you know, you know, all my brothers on the team. And then, you know, another one was, uh, you know, just in general, another team atmosphere was, you know, App State came to Wofford um, after after they beat Michigan. I think it was two weeks after they beat Michigan, came to Wofford, and we, you know, we upset them. Uh, it was a great win for for us, especially in that, in that era where App State was kind of dominating the landscape and just beat Michigan. Um, and kind of you know help help Wofford kind of even go to the next step just to kind of get out there nationally um, from that standpoint. So you know when when I look back, it's, it's hardly it's very rarely ever at any ind- individual moment. It's, it's literally almost always um, you know a moment with a teammate or a moment as a team in general. Um, of course you you know you remember you know the stuff you know ninety nine yard run that kind of stuff. But it's really the team, the team moments where, you know, everything comes together, everybody, you know, it, it just works out. Um, but, you know, probably Montana, you know, the Montana game in general and the App State game um, are probably my top two games, you know, in recent memory of any Wofford game um, that I just really look back on fondly. Well, you you know, it says a lot about all the, uh, the Wofford way of doing things by, you know, you talking about doing things with with the the teammates that you had over the years, and and from the team, um, at you know aspect of things, um, are you still in touch with any of the guys that you played with in your playing career? Anybody you still uh, keep in contact with today? Yeah, I do. I, obviously, not as much as I would like to. Um, you know, life, you know, life and things like that get in the way, and I don't live, I don't live remotely close to any of them. Um, you know, so but I do. I, I you know, Keegan Johnson, I talk to um, fairly often through you know shooting the text. You know, just kind of keeping up with him. Again, he's coaching high school ball, so I try to keep up with his team and then, you know, talk Wofford ball whenever whenever possible. Um, you know, so I, you know, I talk to him, you know, and I, I keep up with, you know, Adrian Young, who I, obviously we played the same position, so we stay in touch. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of them that, you know, you know, I, I stay in touch with occasion, you know, on occasion. Um, but then when we get together, if we're all up at a Wofford game or, or whatnot, um, you know, we, we kind of just pick up right where we left off. Um, and I hope to see some of the, you know, I didn't make homecoming this year. I actually was in the hospital with a newborn, so um, we were planning to go, but 
he decided to come early, so we didn't make it to the, to the homecoming this year. But next year will actually be, I think, uh, my ten year reunion from when I played, which is absolutely crazy. So I hope to hope to hope to catch up with a bunch of those guys next year when when we're up at a game. You mentioned you missed homecoming due to a a newborn being born. Uh, just tell some of the listeners where you are today, uh, what you're up to. Uh, like you said, almost ten years uh, since you were um, put on the uniform of a terrier. Um, well, we currently I currently reside uh, just outside of Pensacola, Florida, um, down in the Panhandle, little little town called Pace, Florida, um, which Pensacola is actually where uh, Lorenzo Long uh, is from. Just to kind of give a somebody somebody from this area that's been a terrier recently. Um, Lorenzo Long is from here, so down here I'm a commercial lender with a community bank. Um, you know, raising a family and you know coaching t-ball at the moment. So uh, <laughs> nothing nothing too extravagant, I assure you. Well, it's it's been really good talking to you. We appreciate taking your time out of your busy schedule to to talk to us here at the Short Haired Dog. Uh, uh, when you first heard of the short-haired dog, uh, what were what were your initial thoughts when you heard of a a, a podcast uh, fully dedicated to Wofford football right now, but will be football uh, Wofford athletics uh, moving forward? No, I was super excited. Uh, you know, my you know I I played at Wofford, so obviously I have a direct title. You know, I bleed black and gold. Wofford is my team. Um, you know, we we're talking all um, kind of prior to the recording, but. Uh, we, uh, you know, I grew up an Auburn fan, but Auburn is most certainly not the team I follow. It's, it's Wofford first, and then I'll catch Auburn if I can. Um, and then my brother, who was older than me, you know, and, and kind of helped me through the recruiting process and all that stuff. Um, you know, he's the same way. Wofford is our, Wofford is our primary team. Um, so it's good to know that, you know, we've had Terrier fans, and we love that board, and we get on there daily, and you know, see what everybody's talking about, and try to contribute. But it's just good to have. A podcast talking strictly Wofford athletics um, by by guys like you and your brother that kind of know the history of Wofford have been around. Um, you know, y'all are young, but y'all been you know you kind of you've been around for a while. Um, know where we've been, where we're headed. So it's just exciting to to be able to sit down and and listen to something. Um, I listened to the, uh, episode two in my office while I was working. Um, so it's just good to good to be able to pick up on all that stuff and it keeps us informed too if we've missed something or something's going on we need to know about with the program or with athletics in general. It's just good to be able to to have that connection. Well, we appreciate your time, uh, Michael, for uh, stopping and having your busy day and telling us a little bit about your Walford career and answering our questions to the best of your ability. Uh, once again, we've been talking to uh, former Walford fullback Michael Hobbs from 2004 to 2007. Um, you had 1,600 yards in your career, 23 touchdowns, so a pretty good Walford career. I'm sure a lot of Terrier fans out there would uh, are really going to get a lot out of this interview. So we thank you for your time, Michael. No, thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, putting all this together. All righty. Um, once again, that's Michael Hobbs uh, talking to us about his Walford career. He's a fullback from 2004 to 2007, number three for the Terriers, and we're, of course, here on Episode 3. All right, and of course, we want to say thank you to Michael Hodd for coming on the show, being our first ever guest here on the Short Haired Dog. And Mike, like we said, a great interview. I know you had a lot of fun speaking with him. I know y'all got to got to chat a little bit before the interview and a little bit after uh, to catch up on some things. And uh, it just sounded like a pleasure to talk to. It sounds like a great guy. Well, I, I hate I wasn't there. I know I would have really uh, enjoyed speaking uh, with Michael Hobbs, but, uh, hopefully this won't be a first. Hopefully we can get him back on, um, again. 
And, uh, you know, this opens up the floodgates for any other former Terriers. If you're out there listening, feel free to contact either one of us. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to get on the show, you see how successful this went. Um, and it really doesn't even matter where you're calling from. Some people think, well, I live in Ohio. I can't talk. It well, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as you have a cell phone and, and you know, the ability to call us. That was actually a phone interview that we yeah. that, that, that was. So, um, and, and we kind of had to iron out the wrinkles a little bit, but it, it, it worked nonetheless. And uh, now we've sort of figured it out. And so even if you're somebody that said, look, I ain't been to Walford in years. If you just want to kind of tell your experiences, talk about, you know, when you played, it doesn't really matter what area you come from. If you were good, if you played a lot, whatever. If, if you think you can add something to this show that, that the listeners and the Walford fans from around the area want to hear, please do so. Yeah, because you may think me and Mike are a bunch of idiots and don't know what we're talking about. So, enlighten us. And Mike, <laughs> you were telling me about this earlier. We now have a, a phone line for the show. We do. Um, so, and we can also take voicemails. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you know, leave us a, a recommendation or a request or, you know, your thoughts on the past game, um, if you make it good, we make it even, make it even play it on the, on the show here. Um, but if you want to, if, if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, typing things out for everyone to see, um, if, but if you want to let us know what you really think about the podcast or, you know, any recommendations, uh, any critiques, um, give us a call, leave us a voicemail. We'll get back to you. Um, and you know, like I said, we make it even, make it even get it on the show. Yeah. Um, what's that number, Mike? I, I'm trying to think of what it is. I can't think of it right off. Let me, let me look. Um, it's brand new to us today. Always be prepared. Oh yeah. You know, you know how I am always mm -hmm. Johnny on the spot with everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's actually through an, an app called Google voice, Google okay. voice. So when you call this number, it's going to ask you, Hey, state your number, you state your name after this number. Okay. And then when when I get the call, it'll be from that number. I may not, it may be, a, you may just leave a voicemail, just sort of depends. But the phone number is 864-466-9530. Okay. 864-466-9530. So if you'd like to call and um, get your thoughts onto the podcast, that's fine. I'll ask you when I answer the phone whether you'd want to have it on the uh, on the show or not, and I'll record it. Uh, all i got to do is match one number, and I can record the conversation as I did with, with Michael Hobbs in this episode. So I may not be able to answer, and that's okay. Um, you can always just leave a voicemail, and it's going to record regardless, so we can take it off of there and put it on the podcast. If, if you maybe you will share at the start of it or at the ending, hey, I want, you can put this on the podcast. You have my permission. Please make sure you say that. Please make sure we have your permission. And if, if you don't mention it in there, but if we think it's a good interview, we'll probably reach out to you and give you a call back and let you know um, we, we thought what you said was, was valuable and thought it would be good to be on the podcast. But once again, the phone number is 864-466-9530, 864-466-9530. So reach out to us there. And, um, yeah, I mean, th th to me, Kevin, this opens up a whole new door for Walford, Walford fans to have their voices heard. I agree. Um, like we talked about, you know, going to South Carolina games, things like that, having Carolina calls where the, where the fans can, can call in and things like that. I think this might give our fans an opportunity to, to sort of share their thoughts. Um, you can be anonymous. You can share your name. You can say whatever you want. 
Um, we're going to try to keep it family friendly and try to do that if you will. Please. Um, but it just gives you the opportunity to call in, leave us a voicemail, or even talk to one of us. And um, yeah, I, I think voicemails might be the route you might you might need to go. And if you decide you want to do an interview, say that in your voicemail. We'll, we'll get back in touch with you. And we'll be sure to give you a call back. But um, we, we appreciate all the support we got. You know, when it comes right down to it, we're just young guys who are big-time Wofford fans and have been fanatics about it since I can remember. And to realize that there's a lot of other Wofford fans out here that care this deeply about what we're talking about means a lot. Yeah, and Michael, you talked about the about the support. We've had over well over 200 downloads uh, for the first two episodes combined. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, for an upstart podcast, and we want it to go, we want it to grow where it's 500 downloads per episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're still in the beginning stages, and uh, like I said, I really appreciate Michael Hobbs coming on. He didn't have to, he didn't have to take the time out of his busy day to come on. Uh, but that's a pretty good first guest for us, and uh, we were pretty pumped about it when we knew that um, we had it in the works. Yeah, because um, I mean, he was one of our favorites. Yeah, I mean, he really was. And if you know, we 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 know this is episode three. We thought it'd be cool to have a, a number three, and it's hard to think of a number three that we liked better than Michael Hobbs. I'll just right. be honest with you. Um, had a really good career. Always liked the way he he handled himself and went so hard out there. And it was sort of a it's kind of like a dream come true for us, you know, to be able to do this. So and to bring it to you. So, well, Mike, this was another good episode. Uh, episode three. Um, of course, the Terriers back in action this weekend at Gibbs Stadium. Uh, last game, or their last home game of the season, um, but hopefully before the playoffs. Um, but the Terriers hosting Chattanooga with kickoff scheduled for 1.30? 1.30 is correct. Okay, so, um, you know, Terriers need to go out there, handle business. Um, hopefully they do. Hopefully we can have episode four coming off of another win. Hopefully um, so. That's, you know what, Mike? Let's just let's hope that they go out there and can put two good quarters together. I'm I'm hoping they can put the second and the third together. Okay. And kind of piddle them because they're gonna piddle. Yeah. We just have to. We just (laughs) had to pick and choose when our piddling. Pick and choose. Yep. So let's hope we can go out there, get a lead on on Chattanooga, and you know, keep our foot on their throat. That's right. Just really dog them. And really go out there. See what I did there? Yeah. There you go. Really dog dog them. I like Mm -hmm. I like that. And you know, go out there like I mentioned earlier, like the like the prize fighter we are, like the heavyweight fighter that we are. Go for the knockout punch. You got to keep, you got to quit jabbing people every once in a while, and getting a jabbing match. You've got to go for the knockout blow, even if it means you're going to take a few on the chin. We've got to go for it, and that's that's the biggest thing um, going into next week. We're going to take a look around the SoCon really quick. Western Carolina travels to the Citadel down to Charleston. That's an interesting game. BMI travels to ETSU, and then Sanford goes to Mercer. Mm. So that should be the one to keep an eye on there. there. The Paladins are off next week. Furman is is off, so they'll stay pat right there at the top with us. Um, if we win, if we lose, we're going to be it's going to be the Paladins on top. So hopefully the Terriers can take care of the Chattanooga Mocks and continue their winning ways and get to an eight and one record. So like we said, Mike, another great episode, episode three here. Once again, thanks to Michael Hobb for coming on. We hope this opens up the floodgates for more former players, uh, diehard fans, uh, insiders to come on and have an interview with us, let people know what's going on, let people know their thoughts, and also give us recommendations on how we can, we can make the show better. So as always, we appreciate the continued support. 
reach out to us on all of our social media accounts. Mike, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook at The Short Haired Dog. You can find us on Twitter at Short Haired Dog. And you can also find us on the Apple Podcast app and on SoundCloud at The Short Haired Dog Podcast. And you can also reach out to our mobile number now. Yep. And call in and leave us a voicemail that we could play on the air. Maybe just to... Uh, for suggestions or maybe just to give your thoughts on the game against Chattanooga this week at 864-466-9530. 864-466-9530. That'll do it. Take us out, Mike. All right. Thank you for listening to The Short-Haired Dog, episode number three. Once again, we want to thank Michael Hobbs for coming on and giving us the interview today. We hope you enjoy it. Make sure to like and share this episode and like and share our page at The Short-Haired Dog. There's nothing else to say, KB. Go Terriers. Let's get ready for the mocks. Go Terriers. It's us.